The following podcast has adult content material, so if you're not an adult, or if you have little ones with you, probably a good time to put something else on. Hi everyone and welcome to The Mind Behind It. My name is Huda. And I am Sahil. I'm Silva Neves. I am a psychotherapist specializing in sexology relationships. I'm based in London. I'm fully accredited. <laughs> One thing that the common public doesn't know about you. One way I really love to relax is by peeling carrots. Wow. <laughs> that is really... I, that is a... I, I don't know why. It doesn't work with apples or pears or anything else. But for some reason, when I peel carrots, I feel very much in the here and now. And I just, <laughs> I, it just relaxes me. I don't know why. Is it because it's you're taking off layers after layers after layers? <laughs> Maybe. It's Maybe. smoother. <laughs> what really attracted me towards getting in touch with you was essentially the article that you wrote on porn. And and why I wanted to talk about it is because I watched so many TikTok videos where they bring porn stars on. But I think that people get a lot of shame around watching porn. Like, I don't know if, if you know, there's this trend going on. It's called no fap, where people are asked not to masturbate because it decreases the testosterone level in a week and, you know, you'll be able to lift a lot better and it's almost like can't we do anything anymore <laughs> i'm so glad that there are more porn performers and sex workers talking on platforms like tiktok because at least then it's kind of a real interaction between the performers themselves and the public and i think it's great because for so many years a lot of people were assuming what porn performers life was like or what sex workers life was like assuming they were traumatized people assuming they were exploited people but nobody really ever talked to them directly. They just assumed and made some made up some stories about what they think their life is. And so now it's great. You know, that's one of the good things with technology and with platforms like Instagram, TikTok, and these things like that is that people can actually, you know, talk directly to performers. And I've talked to many sex workers and many porn performers and, you know, with really balanced views about the porn industry not being that great. You know, it's not fantastic, but it's not also the, the evil thing that some anti-porn people make it to be and uh, many porn performers go to or sex workers go to that those professions for many 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 different reasons it's not just because they traumatize people some actually feel really empowered by this kind of professions others go there because it's making more money than working in a coffee shop for their university studies and and why not and some other people for all sorts of other different reasons so it's not really one kind of cardboard cutout of personalities that goes to the porn industry. So, so that was really fascinating. And the thing is that keeps coming up with people that I have talked about who are in, in the sex working industry or the porn industry is not so much about the porn industry itself being a terrible place to be, but more about the government legislations not protecting them. And because those professions are not legitimized in most countries, it means that they are open to exploitation from the people who are paying them. And so, you know, I hear that there are many, many porn studios that are really great, looking after the performers, paying them fairly and so on. But there are many others, too, who are not so great and they can exploit their performers because there's no legislation around it. So really, if you think about it, is it the porn industry that's evil or bad or wrong? 
Or is it that the governments in, in so many countries need to step up and make it a legitimate profession and actually protect these people like uh, workers are protected in, in many other professions? And, you know, I think that the porn industry is never going to go away because it's so popular. So what we do need to do is working harder at protecting those people. I have a question for you. Good. That's what the podcast is for. <laughs> it's literally why it was You're made. like, what? You have a question for me? I didn't expect <laughs> that. Now, I'm not, I'm not against porn as such. However, I do have this idea that it can sometimes distort a person's sense of reality when it comes to sex in, you know, the real life. And I find that I've spoken to many people that actually say, you know, I had sex with this guy and he, you know, he just kind of completely slammed me and that was it. And I find that that's sort of portrayed a fair bit in porn. You know, they kind of just go at it and it's all very filthy and whatever it is. And others kind of like it a bit more intimate. And what are your thoughts on that? Yes, it's something that we hear so often. It is definitely an issue. I, I've got two thoughts about it. The first thing is that most people watching porn is like they know on some level that they are watching something that is entertainment. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's just like somebody who's going to be watching every day some sci-fi movie with, with aliens. They do not end up with a distorted views of the world today because they know they can separate what's on screen from what's real. We know we've, we've had uh, lots and lots of research, you know, people watching horror movies, people watching violent movies, do not make those people violent. And it's the same with porn. There's no indication scientifically that porn makes somebody be something else. They're not, they're not originally. It doesn't distort people's mind in that way. But what you are talking about is not so much about, you know, people's brain changing because of porn or, or become distorted. What you're talking about is people using porn for sex education. And that is because the problem is not porn. The problem is the poor sex education that most countries have. You know, I've not yet seen a country, there might be some Scandinavian countries where they're just a little bit forward with that, but most countries have real issues at teaching proper sex education. So then people from the age of 14, 15, 16, in, in adolescence, they have lots of hormones rushing through their bodies. They're going to be very interested in sex. Nobody to talk to about it. Nobody to ask questions. Terrible sex education at schools, which is just about reproduction or avoiding STIs, basically nothing mm -hmm. else. So they naturally turn to porn. And especially now, it's very easy because it's very Sorry. accessible. It is, yeah. So they go and they watch it. And because there's no other sex education, they think, oh, this is what I need to do for a woman to scream of pleasure. This is what needs to happen. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is that porn, because it is entertainment, it is not sex education. It never wanted to be sex education. Mm -hmm. It doesn't show the lube that you have to put on. You know, it doesn't show the preparation with condoms. It doesn't show the preparing your body before sex. It doesn't show how messy it is. It doesn't show how awkward sex is. Mm. It doesn't show consent. It doesn't show how you speak to a partner about what they want to do before sex. It doesn't show none of that. It yeah. just goes straight into the penetration with hard erections mm. for 30 minutes, hard intercourse. Yeah. Because that's what people like to watch for fantasies. When people use porn for sex education and then they try to replicate that uh, with their partners, obviously something's not going to go wrong. And it's interesting yeah. that you said that it's not education because it isn't their responsibility. They were never made for that. They weren't made to educate. And talking about no. sex education, I grew up in India. We didn't have any sex education like none so where would yeah, we go no way. <laughs> like mind you my parents were both doctors so I saw a baby coming out of a vagina when I was like nine years old and I was just like my brain was blown away because I'm like <laughs> that is just humanly not possible what's happening right now 
It's a scary. It is actually it quite is intimidating. So, it is just it's it's one of the things that that make you feel like the world around you is not real. Like mm. something a bizarre is happening. Yeah, when you're young and you experience that yeah. for the very first time, that could be a bit much. And then when I was 15 or 16, and I was in an all-boys school on top of that, and not having sex education and being in an all-boys school. So your whole understanding of sex, it's, it's on another scale. Mm. And you don't know right. anything else. Like everyone was yeah. like, you need to watch porn. That's how you're going to learn. I remember mates telling me, why aren't you watching porn? That's how you're going to learn otherwise. And then you start doubting yourself. And I think men have this specially. And... I know I'm generalizing, but men especially think that they need to do something to get a woman to orgasm or be pleasured. And they think that there's only one way to do it, and that's penetration. And then all you're thinking about is, how long can I last? That's all a man's brain keeps on thinking, fuck, did I do well? And it becomes a thing about your self-esteem. And that's why it affects so many people, because it can really fuck with your self-esteem. Absolutely. That's what they should be teaching in sex education. Like your self-esteem shouldn't be based on that. That's right. And you're right about, um, you know, masculinity in particular. Oh, yeah. Um, There is so much pressure to be a certain way with women and sexually in order to feel like a real man, because otherwise you're just less of a man. That's also really prevalent in most societies and most cultures in the UK still now, although we're trying to challenge it. But, you know, across the world, we see we see that, that the pressure that, you know, boys from early adolescence, when they think, oh, I have to have girlfriends, I have to conquer yeah. the girlfriend, I have to be super sexual. And as you say, it puts a lot of pressure on self-esteem. And you're right that then, you know, if people have only porn as their sex education, they think, oh, my penis is not as big as the one on porn. Yeah. My penis is not as hard. I'm only lasting three minutes, not 30 minutes. Yeah. It's going to, be, a... going to be hard penetration and all of that stuff. So it's uh, a mis- it just... Yeah, it does. It does misconstrue a lot of what's reality. Um, the other thing, so I was going to ask, I know that you say that we talk about men and women and having that masculinity problem. Is that the same for gay people as well? Like men with other men? Do you think that there's a issue there when it comes to sexuality? And... I, I guarantee that. Uh, so. Yeah, but I wonder out of curiosity what that would be. Like, what would that be for them? Because that's two men. So saying, you're saying same-sex couples, essentially? Yeah. Well, same-sex couples have literally no sex education at oh, all. Yeah, if, that's true. If, if the sex education for heterosexual people is very poor, the <laughs> sex education for same-sex couples is basically invisible. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, nothing. So, of course, all they have is porn. But funnily enough, the gay communities have a better relationship with porn than heterosexual people because the LGBTQ culture is more accepting of yeah. different sexualities, different way of doing it. They can incorporate porn into their sex life with their partners. There's usually a little less shame about it. There are definitely some gay men who would think they have some problems watching pornography, but it's not quite the same. A lot of the time in heterosexual couples, the porn problem starts with the female partner who is the one who usually has more of a problem about their husband or their male partners watching pornography. That doesn't happen so much with gay couples. I hear a lot less. Somebody says, oh, my partner is really upset that I'm watching porn. A lot in the heterosexual couple. If the husband is watching porn, how does that make a woman? feel. Why do we watch porn, I think, is the bigger question. I I think with porn at the end, there's something really fantastical about it, which is what makes it so addictive, I guess. Yeah, but that's the same with movies. No, movies can be be real reality-based as well. Oh, not 
No. I think it's a lot of to do with insecurities, actually. And so the, the, the equivalent is the men feeling, don't, not liking their girlfriend to have a sex toy, for example, because they think it's a replacement of their penis. And they feel uh, really insecure about the penis if they know their, their girlfriend is, is using a sex toy. And for women, it's the same with porn. Women feel insecure about themselves if they find their boyfriend or their husband watch porn because they think, you know, they're watching somebody with much better body than me. They're watching somebody with bigger breasts than me. They're watching blondes and I'm brunette. And somehow they think that because they're watching something that's different from them, it means they're not really attracted to them. And mm-hmm. that's really part of the of the big myth that people really misunderstand is that when, when somebody's watching porn, watching images, it's not because they are attracted to that image only and they would wish they had sex with that image. It's just something to do with fantasies. Actually, when they finish watching porn, they can turn back to their partner and still very much fancy their partner just as much as they did before. But a lot of women have those kind of insecurities. Unless it is actually an addiction, which it can be. Well, scientifically speaking, we have not found any evidence that porn is addictive. Porn addiction, sex addiction are really popular words that are out there a lot. Clinically, it's actually not been proven and there's been quite a lot of research about it and they've never found the clinical components of addiction. Porn can be compulsive for some people, but compulsivity and addictions are two very different things. Yeah, and I, I guess compulsivity, I think you d- differentiated two very big terms there and the whole idea that, you know, we, we treat sexual addiction as a disorder. And I, I think that's the, that's the problem is we have names for everything and we can categorize them. So, of course, when we get a chance, we do that. But they face a lot of stigma. That's right, because it's... Uh, Especially the, if you're a woman. Addiction. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, the, the addiction word is a pathology word. You know, it's a disease. And a lot of people think they, ha- they are diseased or they have a disorder if they watch too much porn or they think they watch too much porn or their partner think they watch too much porn or have sex that is not the lovely Christian heterosexual sex. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of people are pathologized unduly with those kind of terrible terms, which have... Again, I really want to stress, have not been clinically endorsed. The addiction, the typical addiction kind of method is the first to stop the behavior. It's the first goal. And of course, it's understandable because when it's to do with drug and alcohol, the real addictions that were, you know, that's actually a real disorder, you know, you have to stop those behaviors because there's a high, high risk of death. So, of course, this is how the addiction treatment starts with, you know, the primary goal is to stop it. But with sex and porn, actually, there isn't a high risk of death. You know, nobody has ever died of an orgasm overdose. <laughs> and and the risk of having sex with multiple partners of the, or the risk of injuring yourself watching a lot of porn is really, really, really minimal. And also, when people watch a lot of porn or they have a lot of sex with people, their brain is not impaired. If I took drugs five minutes earlier before the postcard, I would not be able to speak coherently because my brain would be impaired. But if you watch two hours of porn five minutes before a podcast, you can go to a podcast and speak coherently because mm-hmm. your brain is not impaired. Okay. Well, so unless, you, of- unless you take a great drug, you take a lot of cocaine and then you're amazing on the podcast and you're like, well, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> That's a that's a different story, but silver feels different today. I'm not sure what it is. I think this is what you were talking about with the the NoFap thing. This is where they come in. NoFap and and lots of other anti-porn organizations they really bank on that fake idea that porn is a disease and porn is an addiction and and people must stop it. And what it ends up doing is is shaming everybody watching porn, which is basically most of the planet because porn is so popular. If it was a disease. Right. Let's just think for a moment. If it was a disease, given there are millions and millions, millions of people watching porn every day, 
we therapists would be would have been drowned in people knocking on the door for help, mm. right? It would just be just a public health crisis, literally. And research over time, again and again and again, showed that there is no causation between porn and mental health problems or sexual dysfunction. Okay. So when you go back a bit, um, what about... So I know of people that have basically got this compulsion to have a lot of sex in their life and that may be with anyone and any sort of situation what what about those sorts of situations what would you do with that sort of patient I guess that is actually saying I can't even help myself I want to literally fuck anyone and everyone yeah that exists doesn't it question of course it exists good question and before I even talk to them about the problem I talk to them about what might not be the problem and so I make an assessment about what is the nature of their sexual behavior? Is it that they are pansexual? Is it that they are erotic orientation, not just sexuality orientation, but the erotic orientation or their relationship orientation is not monogamous and heterosexual? And so that could actually explain that a lot of people would have this urge to have sex with multiple, multiple people because it could be part of the erotic orientation. And we can't change that and we should not change that. But putting this on the table as an option is important so that people can really think about their sexual behaviors by themselves and explore it. And that's what I do first before we talk about the problem. But then, of course, there are some people who will have a true compulsivity with sexual behaviors. So basically yeah. behaviors that are not aligned with their values and what they actually want in, in their life, mm. definitely not aligned with their erotic orientation or their relationship orientation, but somehow feel compelled. And most importantly, they don't know why yeah. they do that. There's a lack of awareness. And so for these people, then because it's compulsivity and not addiction, I look at what is the function of the compulsivity because compulsivity only exists for one reason, which is to soothe some underlying disturbances. Right. Because there is another problem underneath. It's not the sex problem. And that's it's just the, yeah, okay. And that's just the symptom of it or something. Well, it's a, it's a symptom, but actually sometimes it's a, it's a way of managing underlying disturbance. Okay. It's like the way... So because it's a, so it's a way to manage, it means that the last thing you've got to do is to take that away from them, right? The first goal cannot be to stop them doing this because if that's the first goal, you might be taking away their one way of coping with underlying disturbances mm-hmm. and then that can make them worse. This, I guess this situation has always intrigued me. So there's an actor called Army Hammer. I'm not sure if you've heard about him. He recently yes. got kicked off of all the movies because apparently his girlfriends came out saying that he's heavily into BDSM. And how do you define consent in something like BDSM? You can't blame a person later telling him that, you know, he's heavily into this because there was consent in the first place. Yeah, that's very interesting because BDSM communities are the people who understand consent the best. It's one of the pillar of the community. And so it means that actually the rest of us could really learn from BDSMers about consent and talking to their sexual partners about what's going to happen and what's not going to happen and be very, very clearly boundaried about all of that. Because most of us, we are not in BDSM again because of forced sex education. We've never learned to, you know, for proper consent. So the issue now is when, you know, BDSM is another thing that's really, really misunderstood. And sometimes BDSM, because it can be perceived, although it is not, it can be perceived to go on the edgy, dark side of sexual behaviors. It could, you know, people looking at it, not knowing anything about it, they could think, oh gosh, that's bad, that's wrong. And surely it's open for harm. And that is when then suddenly BDSM can be blamed for 
a natural, inappropriate and offensive sexual behavior. And that's actually, we see, we see that a lot. And that's a big conflation, terrible between compulsive sexual behaviors and sexual offending behavior. It's another myth that people get really confused about. But actually, there are two very distinct things. People who struggle with their sexual behaviors uh, with compulsivity, you know, most of those people do not offend, do not have offending behaviors. They engage in sexual activities consensually with other consenting adults. But there are some people who do offend, and that is a completely different category of disorder. And that is the, the kind of disorder that should address it with a sexual offense specialist, mm-hmm. not sex addiction. We've seen that with Harvey Weinstein, you know, being, you know, abusing women all over the place. Where does he go? He goes to a sex addiction clinic. Well, that was the wrong place. He needed to go to a sex offenders yeah, clinic, okay. not a sex addiction clinic. Going back to, to this actor, I've not really looked into the case very much, but the only bits and pieces I read about it, Bearing Man is only on kind of newspapers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. could, you know, I'm not sure if the report was correct, but what I read, it sounded like he harmed his partners that was not the proper BDSM behaviors and conducts. Okay. So either he did not do BDSM and BDSM was blamed for it because it's all very easy to say, oh yes, he's got this kink and this fetish and therefore he's going to be harming people. Now, within BDSM, the reason why consent is so important is because there is a risk of harm if the BDSM behaviors is not hard hitting with a lot of submissive, dominant, that kind of stuff. And some people do like pain as a sexual arousal. And that is actually, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's important to know where the line is, of course. And in Britain, our law says that we cannot consent to self-harm. So it means that if the behavior at the end of the sexual behavior, even if you say, yes, I want to do it, you're left with your body having to recover for several days because it's been hit too hard. Or if you've been cut and bled in a way that can be dangerous, even if you said, yes, I wanted to do it, it's actually not cannot consent to that. So that would be crossing the line. That's when those practices become unsafe. And that's really when maybe people can just come to therapy and think, I kind of like to do those things, but it's also harming me and trying to find a way to practice BDSM in a safer way for for those people. You know, we should not blame BDSM. We should not blame kink and fetish. Mm -hmm. We should just really help people understand BDSM a little better. Okay. Going back a little bit to porn, (laughs) I forgot, there was a question I actually had. How about, I think this is a real problem. I know that some porn, it's fine, whatever. But then you have other ones like rape porn and child porn and all that sort of stuff. I mean, where where can we actually just draw the line in that case? I think the line's pretty clear there. No, it is clear, but it exists. Oh, yeah. Like child pornography doesn't exist on mainstream pornography websites. I'm not even talking just about child pornography. I'm I'm talking about rape pornography. I don't know if that exists in like public forum websites. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'd like to say that I really hate that term child pornography because it is not pornography. No, it it isn't. It it is abuse. Of course it is. plain abuse. And, you know, when you start to put porn with that, it feels almost like it insults an industry almost because it's just nothing to do with pornography as the way that we understand it, which is entertainment. It's it's actually... It's not entertainment. No, it isn't. No, and that's accessible on the dark web. Mm -hmm. To go to the dark web, you have to be really knowledgeable. You have to really know what to do to get there. So you have to have a particular interest uh, in order to access it. And if you have a particular interest in it, it means that originally you have... some some things that actually really needed to be addressed with a forensic yeah. psychologist. Yeah. For the rape porn and the violent porn, that's kind of like a little bit different. And it makes people really uncomfortable to know. But unfortunately, it is the truth that a lot of people, 
And especially women actually do have rape fantasies and they do not want to have it done in real life, okay? Yeah. Because fant- our fantasy world is really completely different from our real world, but mm-hmm. it is a very common fantasy, actually. And so some rape porn could be accessed by people who enjoy that fantasy, but are very clear that they don't want to have it done in real life or to do it in real life. Right. Now, there's a big caution with that, though, is that if you are already predisposed to have misogynist views about women or to have a desire to be violent towards women, then it's really best not to watch that kind of porn. Because although that kind of porn does not cause somebody to be violent, it can increase somebody's desire to be violent if they originally already have some desire to be violent towards women. So there is an area of porn that is Personally, I think violent porn is distasteful, but there is an area of porn that has to be used with caution. Yeah. But that's very interesting. I I think going back, and I'm not sure if you know the etymology of why women have that as a fantasy in the first place. I I don't know where that comes from. Lots of theories about it. I don't think we'll we'll ever know really completely what the roles of our fantasies are. But one one of the theories, which I think is probably closer to what is going on, is misogyny. I mean, one thing that we have to talk about here is misogyny is so prevalent. And, and again, misogyny is porn uh, makes men hate women. And that's not true. Misogyny predates internet porn by centuries. But the, um, the thing about that is that because of misogyny and because a lot of women from very early on in life are raised to be afraid of being in the streets, the fantasy of rape is almost reclaiming that and feeling power in being able to have their own story about it and have the control over it rather than it happening to them in an uncontrolled, helpless way. That is one theory. Just like homophobia in the world is very prevalent and the gay male fantasy of having sex with straight men is also very, very common. And I think it's for the same reason, is to reclaim, to control, to have power over homophobia. So is it true? Is it not true? Is there something to do with that or not? We don't know. These are just theories. And the idea of power is very intriguing as well especially when it comes to sex. Mm, like, yeah. it's that power shift. People fantasize about that a lot. You know, where does the yeah, power lie? Power, power can be very erotic and mm. it can be a big turn on for some people. And if it's done consensually and respectfully, it can actually be a great type of sexual play. Yeah, we're completely bare at that point. It's a very vulnerable position for us to be mm. in. And if That's we can right. still find power in that. But it's bizarre because when we originally started, when human beings were originally there, we were bare to begin with, <laughs> right? Those are our natural state, if you think about it. And then clothes came into being, and then lack of clothes became shame. <laughs> it's very interesting how, whereas yeah, when we are but... born as babies, nobody goes, fuck, why is that baby naked? Because that's how we are born. We weren't born with yeah. clothes on. And if you think about it, this idea of sex and sexual activities and sexual play and even wearing different kind of sexy clothes mm. has been there as long as humans have existed, there are some, you know, paintings in caves about mm. sexual activities and, and, and group sex and sex with, uh, you know, power, like somebody with a crown having sex with somebody who's, so, you know, those kind of fascination about sex and having to picture sex and put it on wall and looking at it has been there all along. Group sex is an interesting one. Can we talk about group sex? Fucking, uh, I, I don't know. Um, group orgies. <laughs> What is with group orgies? Can no, you orgies click? are groups. You can't yeah, have two people okay. orgies. orgies. More than two is a fucking group. <laughs> <laughs> are orgies, orgies, are, orgies are group sex, right? 
Yes, otherwise it would be a very sad orgy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can barely Everyone's share very my, sad. <laughs> I can barely share my food with two people. <laughs> and I think that idea of power would be so blurry when it would come to so orgies. many naked people. Yeah. It's like there's so many things to do. Who's gonna turn off the light and <laughs> oh no. There's a lot of people at that point. Yeah, very interesting. Well, just like we're talking just right now, somebody's turn on and be somebody else's complete turn off. So the erotic mind is, is so wide and varied and rich that we don't always know why we are turned on by something or not. Like, for example, we don't really know why we like potatoes, but we don't like fish, you know, like those kind of like food tastes. Everyone likes it's potato, always- Silva. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> you're like, you're right. You're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So maybe like, you know, you might love courgettes and you might just hate fish. You don't know why. It's just part of personal taste. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, you know, nobody's coming to you and said, hmm, why don't you like fish? What is, what's going on in your childhood? You know? What's the, <laughs> yeah. What's the but if somebody it? did say to me, if they didn't like potatoes, I would be questioning them. Yes, no, you're right. Yes, okay. I, I fell in the trap there. Everybody loves potatoes, obviously, especially, especially in the form of chips, right? I know. I know. Who can, who can, it's the most diverse vegetable out there. That's true. It's like if it was a category in porn, in vegetable porn, it would be up there. Oh, hi. Like hi. potatoes would be up there. Most watched. Proper, proper mainstream. mainstream. Yeah, that's, it's, like, it's on the first opening page. Brussels you, sprouts is you, late. Brussels sprouts you is not, all the way you, down. Brussels sprouts <laughs> give me gas. I can't deal with it. So it's all the way down. Right. You see, see that. So that's great. You know, if we could talk about sex the way we talk about food, then we'll, you know, suddenly you can feel how the shame can melt away. But why can't we talk about sex the way we talk about food? Like, you know, what yeah. do you like? What don't you like? And not just really feeling that somebody is weird or bad because they don't like Brussels sprouts, you know, mm. or because they think courgettes are great. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so why can't we just do the same with sex? And, and that's really something I really want to try to help our communities be better at, you know, yeah. to just talk about it without the, that shame and all those taboos and all those myths. And so going back to, to your question, a lot of people love orgies because it's a place where they can feel really free, empowered, safe. They love to be touched by multiple hands. They maybe like the kind of music that is played. They like maybe the kind of environment that they have to be. You know, they usually have to be in a, in a, in a large room and so on. Mm. So it's kind of like, the, or you could, some people, it's the scent, the scent of so many bodies together. It could be all sorts of different things that draw some people at, at loving that. And at the same time, other people will be the last thing they want to do in their lives. And why is somebody turned on by it and somebody is turned off by it? It's just kind of like, why do you like courgettes and not fish? Yeah, okay. And there's not always a, a particular meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. It's just is. I think logistically, it's a lot of work. That's it all is. I'm saying. It would be a lot of work. For me, I... You've got a plan. You've got yeah, a plan. A plan. <laughs> you can't just decide today that work in the next five minutes. It's got to be like in your five-year plan or something. <laughs> it can't just be, you've got to have a place, you've got to have a venue, you've got to, you, you've got to yeah. really think. I guess, yeah, and I guess... Talk about threesomes and stuff. This is just adding more people. Yes. Yeah, and this is just more than three. It's a foursome. <laughs> it's a fivesome. It can keep going on. You get the point. What I did find interesting was that you said that why can't we talk about sex the same way we talk about food? Our taste in food somehow doesn't question our identity as much as sex does. And you know that people always ask ask you, would you, which one would you give up, sex or food? Like they're always put in the same category. And I'm like, <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> why, why do I have to give up one of them? <laughs> But also, like, it's interesting you say, is food not linked to identity? I think it is. I, I am French. You're Indian. Well, we 
are identified by our food as well. That is you true. Don't, you don't, you don't, yeah. mess, you don't mess about with a French person's food. But it is, it, it's also that people don't have as much problem with someone's food taste as much as their sexuality. You know, people in this fucking world have died because of their sexuality. And I, that's think, that, true. I think that is fucked. Nobody has gone, yes. you fucking eat that's too true. many brinjols or eggplants, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> that's true. And yes. I don't know why right. that is. Why, why yes. is this? Women, women are killed for having sex with other people that the people they're married to. Men are killed for having same-sex sex. Yes, you know, a lot of people across the world are pathologized or even ostracized from the community just because they have a particular turn on or a particular fantasy or a particular sexual behavior. So it is true. You know, there's the sex bit is a lot more taboo because of the terrible negative consequences that can happen as a result of either society or political uh, religious or, religious, well. religious, or religious or religious movements. I also think, yes. as, as bizarre as this sound, if we were to have sex with clothes on, people would not have that big an issue. <laughs> I think, think? Yeah, I think yeah, it's the uh, idea... Yeah, dry of, humping though. No, not in pub. <laughs> the idea that we do something so intimately and without anyone knowing, that's what makes it... People think of it as something mysterious or something that they don't know. Because... It's the idea that I can't fucking see you having sex with another man. And that's why I have a fucking problem with it. And now I have to imagine it. And that's my fucking problem. But but if the same thing was out in the open, people would eventually be okay with it. It's like PDA with gay people. And you're saying something really, you're saying something really important here because that's exactly, exactly the process of sex-negative people. They cannot own the erotic for themselves. So when they have a sexual fantasy or a sexual feeling that comes to their mind or their body, then they will blame somebody else for feeling that. Mm. And that's when they say, you know, it's all your fault and so on. And that's why porn is blamed a lot of the time. That's yeah. why women who wear, you know, Small. short skirts or mm. yoga leggings or whatever are blamed for male erection. That's the, actually the entire premise of NoFact, in fact, or, or organizations like this. You know, they blame women's sexuality, they blame porn, they blame everybody for them feeling sexual and and that's a, and that's a big problem because it is really when it can go into some really dark places in in how people are repressed and mm-hmm. attacked and insulted and also if you have an erection every time you see a woman in yoga pants you have so much work to do like, <laughs> you have so many things to deal with in your life it's like dude, yeah it is your problem it's, yeah, it at is, the end of the day that truly, is your problem yeah, it is and and now there, there's this big campaign about NoFap, which you're talking about, which is very big amongst males. Every male on TikTok, especially male big alpha males, your so-called alpha males with like those big bodies and big muscles. And they're like, hey, if you don't fap, you think clearer and, and you've got more testosterone. So everything's better. And I'm, I don't know. You probably do know if there's any scientific evidence behind that. But the thing is, like anybody on TikTok, on social media, they can just be speaking very confidently about something and people will believe them just because they mm-hmm. have confidence in mm-hmm. the way they speak. But actually, there is so much fake news about this. Mm-hmm. And it's not just NoFap. It's all the anti, anti-porn, anti-sex movements. Unfortunately, there's more than just NoFap. Even the 12-step programs, the, the Sex Addict Anonymous um, programs, they are all based on misinformation that has nothing to do with sexology science at all. Wow. Uh, and, and NoFap is the same. NoFap really encourages men to have a particular way, they have a particular strict, rigid prescription on how to be a man. And this is actually bordering on toxic masculinity more mm-hmm. than anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's bl- blaming women and, and everything that they are saying about not masturbating, 
has nothing to do with science. There's absolutely no, no basis on that. It's all anti-sex opinions and most probably driven by a strong re- religious movement hidden underneath. With the NoFap thing, is it because they're, they're using their testosterone to be able to lift, lift more? Or it apparently makes you think clearer, you're more active, you're more energetic. And it, okay. it happens with, I don't know if you know, but like a lot of UFC fights or boxing matches, you'll always hear like these, the players who they are don't. fighting. Yeah, they're not allowed to have sex. Yeah, they're not allowed to have sex prior. Yeah, it's because, a thing actually. Yeah. yeah, and it happened, I remember during the 2003 FIFA World Cup or 2002, I think, which happened in South Africa, I think. Ronaldinho, Brazil's very famous player, he got so much shit because he was having sex with his girlfriend the night before the game and he got a lot of crap for that. And they blamed Brazil's defeat on him that because he wasn't... Oh my God. And it's like, dude, holy shit. It's like the whole team went down and he's the one to blame. (laughs) Like, come on. And and why the (laughs) hell do you know that he's having sex? Like, why does it matter to you? But you know, the the, the actual real science, let's just tell you the real science, the real science is actually the complete opposite to what those people are saying. Masturbating is a very healthy behavior and orgasm, masturbating as well as orgasm is anti-disease. It's, uh, you have less chance to develop heart conditions, cancer, prostate cancer, and it makes your sperm, sperm better quality. The more you ejaculate, mm. the more your sperm becomes of better quality. So if you want to, you know, if you are struggling for fertility, you know, you masturbate more and you'll have more chance. Wow. So all of these things, all of these things, of course, they're not, they're not completely robust. You know, nobody can claim if you masturbate, you're not going to have cancer. Of course, you can't say that, right? Of course, that's but, just... but there is the natural brain chemicals that floods our body uh, after orgasm, which is, a fantastic, super healthy cocktail of chemicals, mm-hmm. which, by the way, you cannot get addicted to because you cannot binge on your own chemicals. Okay, let's <laughs> get that clear first. It's just really fantastic. You know, you've got oxytocin, which is great for bonding. It's great for love. It makes you feel good about yourself. And you have lots of serotonins, lots of different types of serotonins that gives you a, a really great feeling. So it's good for your mental health because it reduces your stress. You're less likely to have headaches. Mm. You are less likely to have anxiety. And also it's good for your heart and it's a good anti-cancer boost. It's just like your blueberry superfood. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the blender. <laughs> oh. <laughs> was, that is so I disgusting. Was, uh, well, now <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're going to think about that next yeah. time you have a smoothie. Uh, <laughs> a protein smoothie. I actually have a question real quick. With um, Is it true that when men have like specific foods, their, their ejaculation tastes different? Anecdotally, yes. So... We have the anecdotes that if you eat pineapple, your sperm tastes better. Yeah, but, I've heard that. Uh, there's not been any. There's not been any uh, science. Uh, I'm. I've always been very fascinated by this, especially with men when masturbate straight after they have this feeling of guilt and regret. And why is that? And I've never understood that. I don't know if it's a society thing or it actually does happen, or it's the fact that you've lost something. Don't but laugh. It's, it's a real a thing. Something. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, mostly, it's a feeling uh, of loss. I don't know. Silva, can you please yeah. just, just explain? Yes. Off. It's mostly a societal thing. It's mostly an, an external judgment that inserts, uh-huh. that gets inserted in, 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 in people's mind after they do it. And mm-hmm. so that's because a lot of the time, you know, you've got that terrible label of the wanker, right? And so oh, people yeah. think, oh gosh, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys who 
wanked again. Yeah. A lot of shame about that. Oh, wanker. But you you uh, call people that. I do call people yeah, you, a wanker. Yeah, she is the one. She is the cause of that problem. <laughs> All she needs is a fucking also, blueberry smoothie. <laughs> but most of those people that will feel bad, it's usually because they have some religious thinking behind it. So yeah, okay, yeah. they are re- religious people or they grew up in a religious household or they have some lessons that are based on religiosity that they might not even be aware that, that they do. Well, it's so, a belief yeah. system that, you know, uh, especially nowadays where we are so obsessed with productivity, we think that you could have used that time to do something valuable. <laughs> right? People say <laughs> that, right. that you you idiot, you fucking wank all day long. You could have done something valuable with your day and you're wasting your time. And and suddenly you start feeling fuck. And, and you're right, there's this identity issue that comes with it. It's like people who maybe wank too much suddenly they feel like they're loners or they're outcasts and everything's That's harder right. for them and there's a whole set of mental things that happen to a person who does that sometimes it has shown for both men and women that they can feel sadness after orgasm and that is not actually a disorder or anything anything bad about it it's just that for some people it's how they go into what we call restitution of the body after the orgasm because the orgasm is a peak is a physical peak and and after to kind of like for the body to go back into its um, release to, to a different state they have a, a moment of sadness and some people think why do i feel sad after an orgasm it feels like it's not normal so it's not guilt or shame, but it, it, you can have an, an unpleasant feeling after an orgasm mm-hmm. for some people. It's quite rare, though, but it does happen with some people. So with a lot of masturbation, though, is it true that then sometimes men who do masturbate a fair bit, like I'm talking nine times a day or something stupid. Nine times a day? Who, no, there's who people are you out there. There's who are you meeting <laughs> who's masturbating nine times a day? Because I have there a big fucking problem with that. <laughs> No, there are people out there, right? Like, surely there are people out there that do Nine that. times a day? Well... There are some people that do masturbate a lot, yes. Yes. I think eight is fine. Well, I think so nine is, is not okay. Above Whatever. eight is a problem. Okay. With that... It's a magic number. <laughs> would it be true then that they can't enjoy real sex because of that, in a way? Because of the physical, the, the hand and all that sort of stuff? Like, is that... Yes, the, uh, the common term for this, it's called the death grip. And that's basically when people... To masturbate holding their penis very very tightly and so they then uh, teach their penis to feel pleasure when there's hard ah, friction that's what i yes yes and it's usually that's when you know if you watch porn you have of course quite a lot of visual stimulation and so you're not you might not always aware of how tight you're holding your penis in your hand mm. and if that's something that you do say nine times a day or on a very regular basis then you're actually training your penis to be feeling those sensations yeah then if you try to have oral sex with somebody else or even vaginal sex that might not have such a strong grip, you might not feel the sensations and start, and then you might start to lose your erections and you might start to think, oh, well, yeah. your sex is not as good. But it's just it's just a, a grip thing, really. Okay. So that's just physics, people, really. That's, that's physics. That's yeah, literally so science. That's way, very smart. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best way to do it is to you know retrain for those men to retrain how they masturbate. And to masturbate in a kind of different way, more gently, or with a sex toy, or with some lube. Or ask someone else to do it. Okay. Someone else to do it, indeed, yes. Yep. That would be the best case scenario. So you're just sitting back. <laughs> give your hands up. Give your death grip a break. That's a great movie title, Death Grip. <laughs> yeah, go, go and write the script. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have the script. <laughs> I've learned a lot today. That's yeah. This is this is like you've you've dropped a whole lot of like truth bombs that that was I know that were really because Im- I had a lot of misconceptions. 
I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I don't do the research either. I just read the research, you know, and, yeah. and I just, I just really challenge myself with all those uh, misconceptions. But at the end of the day, because phone is just entertainment, if you like it, watch it. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Mm. And that's it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but you don't have to just impose your views on yes. others. And it's really, I find it fascinating that in a country like America, where guns are legal, sex work is not, and prostitution is not, except in Las Vegas. It's so bizarre to me. (laughs) It's actually so stupid. Like, guns are fine, you can shoot people, but like, no, we can't have sex work. Well, I challenge you to do a mass murder with uh, a dildo. Oh, yeah. How'd that work? Unless I mean, it's a if very... I hit that dildo on someone's face... What if it's a really small person, like a midget, <laughs> and you crash a dildo in their head? That'd be a shit way to die. Well, Even though it's not, quite, it's, not, it's not quite like a bullet, I don't think. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. <laughs> well, don't challenge me. <laughs> <laughs> Notice that you've posted a fair bit about, you know, what's happening in the LGBTQ community as well. Yes. Could you explain to us a little bit about all of that as well? Like what the issues are at the moment? I think for sex, there are two very big, big things. One is for heterosexual people, it's misogyny mm-hmm. and the idea of masculinity that we've talked about quite a fair bit today on this podcast. Yep. And for LGBT people, it's homophobia. And yeah. that is so, so rife and a lot of the time unchallenged too. And there are also lots of myths and misconceptions about it. And a lot of people sometimes seek a therapist because they think they feel bad about sex. They feel bad about their sexual behaviors or about their turn-ons because they are told that it's not right, it's not good. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's like, oh, you know, I should be monogamous and I'm not monogamous. Well, actually, that's because the diversity of sexuality is really, really wide and not everybody's monogamous. So yep. uh, so a lot of people have a lot, of, a lot of shame about it. But of course, there is in some parts of the UK and across the world, in America, it's very rife too. It's what we call conversion therapy. Okay. And conversion therapy is, I hate it that there's the word therapy in it, but it's basically the gay cure, which is a therapy that is an aversion therapy trying to attempt to change people's sexuality to turn, to turn gay people straight, basically. Wow. And, and that is usually, that has been going on for years and years and years. It was originally a, a Christian movement. Yeah, that's so what I very, thought. Very, it's very embedded in religion. But now, of course, a lot of other religions have taken it up and, and Islam is a, quite a fan of it, too. Islam is a fan of it. <laughs> it's one of its favorite movies. <laughs> it's it's funny though cause the, the amount of things that the Christians started I have to put it out there I'm probably going to get fucking shot for this but the amount <laughs> of the troubles dildo. yeah with the fucking <laughs> dildo I'm the first one who dies the amount of shit that Christians have started is insane like they have yeah. caused so much fucking problems it's ridiculous no wonder they're the biggest religion in the world <laughs> yeah I mean gosh yes I, I agree with you you know they, they killed a lot of people mm-hmm. and continue and continue to do so and so the conversion therapy is obviously, it has been in the psychological spheres that have been deemed as unethical and, and harmful and nobody should practice it. And if somebody is seen to practice it, uh, they can be written off the, their psychological register straight away because it's unethical. But it's still in, in so many countries, it is still not illegal. So it means that you can disguise it and not call it conversion therapy. You can call it anything else, religious guidance or or pastoral care or whatever, and have conversion therapy done to you anyway. So it really, really does need to be made illegal and there should not be any religious exemption to it. At the moment in the UK, just this week, government is debating banning it, finally, after years of consultation. But they are also thinking of making another consultation with a religious exemption, which I hope really does not happen because it will just missing the point 
completely. Completely. It's a religious movement in the first place. But the problem is still happening now. It's still happening a lot. And and unfortunately, as I said, it's kind of sometimes practiced under different disguise. And in my opinion, it happens in sex addiction clinics. And that's why that's another reason why I do not like the sex addiction thing is because when somebody comes... And even heterosexual people, you know, they come and they say, I've got a kink, I've got fetish, I've got BDSM, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not compatible with my uh, vanilla wife. Mm. And so rather than thinking, oh, maybe there is a conflict between, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, thinking, well, yeah, exactly. Thinking, well, maybe there's a conflict between the different flavors here. Yes, maybe you're going for the wrong flavor. Yes. Instead, they say BDSM is bad and wrong. Let's try to fix it and let's try Mm. to change Mm -hmm. you so that you can fit into your vanilla sex wife. And that is, uh, to me, a form of conversion therapy. So and, can it's, you, and it's widely, widely, widely practiced. What happens in conversion therapy? Like, what do they, how does it work? Like, what, is it like a machine? I picture it to be like a machine for some well, reason. Like you just sit in a chair and they put something over your head like, and you come you know, out and like you're things, like, yep, solved. What does it do? How do basically, you? It's basically abuse and people do it in many different ways. A lot of it is psychological abuse. So it's basically to say, each time you're going to have that thought or each time you're going to have that fantasy, just tell yourself you're a bad person, you're evil oh and, God. and God, God will save you. And then you pray. Oh, it's like religion. It's basically religion. Yes, it's, like, it, it's praying the gay way. That's what we yeah, call it. it it's and literally playing the religion or a but, cult. But there are, a cult yes, would exactly. do the same there thing. Some people, there are some people who do some things even more kind of harmful when their psychological abuse is very harmful, but physically harmful when they get to hold a, no one of the stress balls, but they are with pins inside. And each time they have a gay thought or fantasy, they just squeeze the ball and it, and then their hand is basically bleeding with the pins in them. So that um, stuff would fuck you up. That is actually abuse. I heard in, in sex addiction treatment, I heard some people say, oh, well, yeah, you know, my therapist told me that when I have a fantasy and I think of having sex with somebody that's not my wife, I just, I have to put a nice tube in my mouth to have a brain freeze. I mean, that's kind of not far off. <laughs> rather rather than just thinking, well, you know, I've got a sexual fantasy and that's part of my erotic world and there's nothing wrong with it and I can hold it lightly and also engage, you know, with my partner. I did want to ask one last controversial question, which was, India has now been given the name of the rape capital of the world. And, you know, the number of rapes that happen in India, like by far, like I get that the population is large, but the number of rapes are just so fucking high. Mm. And people have always been really conflicted about what is the right way to address it. Is it education or is it the idea that sex work should be made legal in a country like that? Or does it come from religion? So it's such a blurry idea. And, you know, people now feel unsafe. Women feel unsafe in India. And I've always tried to think about, you know, if I was the prime minister, I could be the prime minister. (laughs) What would I do? Like, what is the kind of, where do you start? Because it is a genuine problem. Yes. Well, there is, uh, I'm not sure if that's going to answer your question, but there is definitely some studies that suggest that in countries where sexuality is repressed, there is more uh, sexual aggression. Mm-hmm. I say countries, it could be communities as well. The, the, the faith communities that repress sex, they are more likely to have aggressive sexual behaviors. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. same thing, same thing in a country wide, maybe if there is if sexuality is repressed. But that's not just it. I think it's also to do with women's rights. You know, if women's rights are not actually up to scratch and women don't feel they will be listened to, heard or mm-hmm. believed, mm-hmm. Uh, or even or even attacked mm-hmm. uh, because they speak up, then that's going to be part of the problem. Because yeah. of course, you know, if, if rape is if rape is ready practice, is because a lot of those men know that they can get away with it. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. So and so it is something to do with with women's rights. It's something to do with sure education. 
Mm. It might be something to do with sexuality being repressed. And it might have to also something to do with this idea of masculinity as well and what it's like to what it's like to be a man and that, that kind of you know, misogyny basically, the, the yeah. misogyny world. Because and, and type of thinking. And it's not just women that they rape. They they rape animals, they rape children yeah, as well. That's like true. it's not it, it's not it's sexual just women. repression. It is. I think that people have thoughts and a lot of them may have these thoughts and go, no, that's wrong and have that moral compass to go, no, that's not okay. Because we all have thoughts and some of them can be pretty fucked up and that's just human. But I, yeah. But I think that, you know, I think Silver's right in a way that women's rights aren't strong enough. You know, animal rights are strong enough and I don't think children's rights are strong enough over there. Well, children are not given rights. But that's what I'm saying. I think that's what the problem actually is because, yeah, like Mm. here, you can have people that have messed up thoughts but they'll go, no, I'll either get caught or I shouldn't do it because morally that's wrong. But I think that that's what the actual issue is. Yeah, but I think with sexual repression, I think the idea, it's it's very... It adds to it. Yeah, but it's also interesting how the brain works. Like as soon as you say that's a wrong idea, the brain obsesses over it. Yeah. And it becomes a thing. That's why we have such an obsession with the wrong. Because we want to try it because the brain obsesses. Why is it wrong? Why is it wrong? Why is it wrong? Why is no one mm. telling me is this wrong? You have to try it to see if it's wrong. Well, prohibition sometimes can be quite erotic and it can be quite arousing. You know, but then you've got to be very clear about values and consent as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, and when, when people say this is not allowed to do, you know, the more you're going to be thinking of forcing yourself not to do something. Yeah. The more you'll want to do it. Do, the, the more you want to do it. But then, of course, if it's done in a way that breaches people's consent, it's really, it's, it's really that bit to, to be looking at. And I yeah. think that if people think that they can get away with it, you know, they won't have to challenge themselves too much about their consent issues. Yeah, it's like eating donuts. Like we prohibit people and then like you're like, fuck, I just want to eat donuts now. All I can think about is donuts. Everything looks like a donut. Oh, that brown thing. It's very right, exactly. Food and sex and you're sorted. Yeah, you're sorted. Basic like so basic. Oh God. Anyways, uh Silva, it's so funny. This has been an absolute pleasure to have you and I was kind of on edge about talking about this stuff because I haven't really in public and normalize it for us to talk about it and really really oh, appreciate so glad. it thank you very much fantastic i'm so glad that you enjoyed it it was really really great fun to speaking to you both it was pretty great Did you reckon this is the best podcast you've ever done right <laughs> don't say that actually you know what i think uh, yes i think so you know what it was really really good fun we laughed we laughed as well you know it was really really super enjoyable thank you so much bye